Hey friends, I'm Casey and this is Let's Tell Their Story. In the United States alone, over the past 40 years, over 200,000 cases have gone unsolved. Whether that be missing persons, unsolved murders, or unsolved suspicious deaths, I'm here to tell you the stories about the cases that were never solved. I hope I can bring light to these cold cases that just sit and collect dust. I go through every case with as much research as I possibly can and give you the knowledge that I was able to find. So grab your warmest blanket, find a comfy spot to relax, and let me tell you a story. If you're doing chores like washing dishes, laundry, or even at work, it's okay. You can listen to Story Time. Hi there, my beautiful and handsome pupils. Are you guys ready for a story? This is Casey with Let's Tell the Story. Uh, I don't just have one story for you today. I actually have two. Um, I have the stories of Catherine Ann Sesnick and Roberta Robin Elam. Now, they're... Cases aren't connected, and there's no connection to the possibility that they could be connected. I just found that their life patterns kind of correlated with each other, and I felt like it wouldn't be too bad to put these two together and I can get a longer episode. I know some of you prefer the longer ones. So let's jump into this story. So Catherine Ann Sesnick, she was born in Lawrenceville, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, on November 17th, 1942. Weird. I actually know two people with the same birthday. Uh, her parental grandparents were Slovenian immigrants from Yugoslavia. <clears throat> Sometimes words are hard. Kathy also had three siblings. Three siblings. <clears throat> now, when I said that Catherine and Ra Roberta have a lot of similar similarities, they really do because they're both tr uh, have three siblings. So they're both of them are families of four children. Now. With Kathy and Roberta, there's also the fact that with Kathy, I know for a fact that she had at least one sister and the other two siblings. I don't know if it was two brothers, a brother and a sister. And with Roberta, I know she had at least one brother and the other two, again, not sure if they were sisters or if they were more brothers, but... So, it appears that Catherine, who went by Kathy, and I'll be jumping back and forth between Kathy and Catherine when I, when I talk about her, she seemed to have taken her schooling very seriously. She attended St. Mary's School in her elementary years and St. Augustine High School where in 1960, her graduating year, she was the valid Victorian of her class. She was the class president and also the May Queen. Now, what the heck is a May Queen? I was wondering that myself. 
So a May Queen, what they do is they are responsible for jumpstarting the springtime events for May Day, which May Day is May 1st, and the May, the May Queen rides or walks at the beginning of a May Day parade, and she is usually wearing a white gown that represents purity. Now, when I say the two, Catherine and Roberta, are connected, <clears throat> this representation of purity actually plays into both their cases. And the May Queen also adores a tiara or a crown upon her head. And then her, the May Queen and other age-appropriate ladies, they will dance around the Maypole to kick off the springtime event after the May Queen has given her speech. Now, I kind of get how this works, and she probably had a pretty busy summer that summer of 1960 when she was May Queen, um, where my hometown, or actually the, the town I went to high school in, they have what is called Satnamai, which is May 17th, and it's a Norwegian holiday. Kind of represents the same, kind, I won't say it's, it has something to do with the birthday of Norway or something like that. I'm not really sure, but I know there is always a Satnamai princess and three, there were three technical royalties. So you had your Satnamai princess, your Satnamai first attendant and second attendant. I believe that's the order that goes. But uh, they, all summer long, they're going to fairs and other kind of events. Um, let's get back into the story. Enough about personal life. So after she did all of her May Queen duties, she joined the school sisters of Notre Dame which that, that fall when she turned 18. So, and she went to continue her education to become a drama and English teacher. Kathy did end up landing herself a job as a drama and English teacher in a private Catholic school, girls' school at the Archbishop Keough High School in Baltimore, Maryland. She, she seemed to be a pretty strong teacher, and she was someone that the, girl, the girls would confide in, and they did. So some of the girls, they had gone to... Sister Kathy, as she was known as, and they were stating that they were being sexually abused by the Kiosk chaplain, Joseph Maskell. Kathy seemed to be the only one that was willing to listening, listen to these girls, and she was the only one that seemed to believe them, and she would do anything to, to do something about this, to make things right for these girls that deserved justice and unfortunately you will find out these poor girls do not ever actually get any freaking justice so 
Kathy, she actually confronted the chaplain about the allegations. It's unclear when she had confronted him, but on the evening of November 7th, 1969, 10 days before Kathy's 28th birthday, she left her apartment that she shared with Helen Russell Phillips at the Carriage House Apartments. She left and went to Catonsville where she cashed her paycheck at the First National Bank and then went to the Edmondson Village Shopping Center to purchase a gift for her sister's engagement. And also while she was there, she may have purchased a package of buns and that would be the events that took place the last time Catherine and Sesnick would be seen alive the next morning on November 8th the <coughs> friends of <coughs> friends of Kathy's roommate Helen's arrived at 4.40 a.m. and these friends happened to be the Catholic priest Peter McKeon and Gerard J. Cobb. I'm not sure if Gerard Cobb was a priest or not, um, but they noticed that Catherine's car was illegally parked and it was in muddy conditions across the street from the apartment complexes. Now one, I'm usually at my full-time job by before 4.40 a.m. But if I didn't have to be to work and clocked in by 5, 5, 5 a.m., I would be so pissed if somebody was showing up at my door at 4.40 in the morning. I'm sorry. Just, ugh. Residents of the complex, they had seen Kathy's car parked illegally in that same parking spot and in muddy conditions the night before around 8.30. And then there was other residents of the complex that claimed to see it later, about two hours later at 10.30 p.m. Okay, these people are complete idiots. Obviously, if it's there at 4.40 a.m. and somebody's seen it at 8.30 a.m., it obviously didn't meet, never left the location which really means that the people that seen it at 10:30 were going to see it at 10:30 now okay <clears throat> those girls that had confided in Kathy about being sexually assaulted by the kiosk chaplain Joseph Maskell in 1995, those two had filed a lawsuit against the school. However, their statute of limitations had ran out. The trial court had dismissed the action as time barred by the statute of limitations. So what did they do? They appealed this. 
uh, it went to the Maryland Court of Appeals. They upheld the lower court decision, which they ruled, their ruling was that, and I'm going to, this is quote, quote, that the mental process of repression of memories of sex, past sexual abuse does not activate the discovery rule. Unquote. <clears throat> okay. Now, this is so much better when I recorded it the first time. Repression of memories. That is where something extremely horrid has happened to you in the past and you suppress the memory. They're basically saying that because these girls suppress something so horrible and possibly going through therapy or some nightmarish dream or something like that brought this back up. So the court is saying that it's discovered, okay, you, you repressed a memory. You didn't bury a body. You didn't, you didn't bury a time capsule. So the girls, they, <clears throat> they did not stop at getting justice because this was in 95 that they filed but the first allegations that were made public were in 94 and those were not just against Masco but they were also against the school gynecologist Christian Richer the school sisters of Notre Dame the Archdiocese of Baltimore and the Cardinal William H. Keeler. There were allegations that jo Joseph Maskell had trafficked out the girls to officers who would in, in turn take turns raping these girls while Joey boy sat back and talked and laughed with the other officers that were basically waiting their turns. One of the girls, I'm, <clears throat> I have the names of these plaintiffs and plaintiffs, girls, whatever you want to call them. It is not, not my responsibility to put these names out there. These, they're they're not even responsibility. It's, they have the right to be anonymous when given the chance to, even though their names are public and you can find them if you look hard enough. So you don't even have to look that hard. But one of the girls had claimed in her, in her lawsuit that Joey Boy, I'm just going to refer him to him as Joey Boy, because most Joeys that I've ever met, I they're weird. He had taken her to a wooded area outside of Fort Meade. 
and had shown her a female body that was deceased and it happened to look a lot like the young lady that he took out there she, when she was taken to this wooded area and shown the deceased body she basically i can only imagine probably fell to the ground knees and she was cleaning maggots off like sweeping and brushing maggots off of the dead body and probably crying and screaming i don't know if she was screaming she may have been just she kept repeating help me help me and this is where allegedly joey boy told her see what happens when you say bad things about people yeah joey's an asshole <clears throat> now that body was not that of Catherine and Sesnick. Kathy would not be found for another two months. That body that Joey took the former girl to was found by hunters on November 13th, 1969. And it was the unfortunate body of Joyce, Joyce Helen Malecki. And I will do an episode on her in the near future. Um, I just happened to come across it when I was doing the research for Catherine and Roberta, which I didn't really have time to throw Joyce in there, and you'd end up with almost a three-hour episode. Uh, a little bit about Joyce. She had disappeared on November 11th of 1969. She was 20 years old, an American office worker in from Baltimore, and she was employed at a liquor distri distributor. Distributor? Why? Can't, <laughs> wow, that was a word. She she had disappeared on the 11th of November, and she was found two days later at the Soldier Park training area of Fort Meade. Now, there is a Netflix documentary called The Keepers that brings both of these ladies up and uh, probably a few others. I have never watched any of this series um, it's, I believe from what I've seen, it's a seven part doc or seven episode documentary series. And there is a allegedly an impossible connection between Joyce and Catherine's murders. When Catherine was finally found, it would also be by hunters but not until January 3rd of 1970. And where Catherine was found was in a completely different area. She was found on top of an open hill trash dump that happened to belong to a small business property in Lansdowne. When it was discovered that her, Catherine had 
her cause of death was blunt blunt force trauma to the head. Now, is this sequence? I'm doing it again. Now, 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 now. And this is funny. So, it being November in Maryland, right? Granted, it's only January here in Wisconsin. But it was pretty warm in November of last year. So weird saying last year. It's only been two months. Yeah, you wouldn't think it would be warm enough for maggots, but the highs in November of 1969 were around 60 degrees Fahrenheit, which were enough of high enough temperatures for maggots to... reproduce or breed or I know there's another word I'm not I just can't think of it so in I do have some good news though in 2001 Joey boy there he died of a stroke yay in we're kind of coming to the end of Catherine's story um, in 2015, there were three more allegations of sexual assault and trafficking towards Joey Boy there. So, in 2016, Joseph Masco's body was exhumed, but unfortunately, the DNA did not match. However, however... He's not been taken off the suspect list because I'm getting my stories connected, okay? But they haven't taken him off as a suspect, even though his DNA didn't, his 2016 DNA didn't match the DNA samples from the 1970s. In 2023, the Baltimore Catholic Archdiocese, they end up filing for bankruptcy. And it is said that their bankruptcy was a very big contributing factor to Sister Sesnick's murder. So something kind of good came out of it, which kind of sucks for the girls, but sometimes things need to do what things need to do. Now on to Roberta Robin Elam. Roberta was born in Minnesota to Mary and Bob Elam. She was the oldest of four children and she was born on August 23rd, 1950. Again, not much known about her childhood. Her brother, Chris, basically had said that Roberta was a very outspoken young lady. And she she seemed like she would have been some 
cool shit to hang around. She she drove an orange sports car. She was athletic. She wrote poetry. She <clears throat> she had a mouth on her, as you'll find out here a little in a little bit on this story. She went to Fordham University in New York, where she studied theology. And eventually, oh, back, back her up, back her up. Well, she was growing up, her dad, Bob, he was an ITT sales manager in Minnesota, then in Illinois, and then eventually he and his family settled in Allendale, New Jersey. Uh, Roberta went by her middle name Robin where a lot of people back then would do that um, I actually had a great-grandmother that went by her middle name and to this day I don't even know what her real first name was I know who she was but she will always be grandma Lily she was my great-grandmother so um, Robin, from now, from here on out, I'll re refer to Roberta as Robin. I know, it feels like I'm so all over the place, but my brain just not there today. It wasn't there yesterday. It, 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 it there today. I hope it's there today. Um, I'm not sure what's wrong with me. Uh... If you if you can figure it out, go for it. <laughs> uh, Robin eventually moved to West Virginia after she graduated from Fordham University. She would move into the Mother House Mount. Uh, Yeah, the, the Mother House Mount St. Joseph in Wheeling, West Virginia, where she would work, where she worked as a coordinator in of adult religious program diocese of Wheeling, West Virginia. She, she was, this is where I'm going to let you know how, oh, part of what I'm going to let you know about Robin. She about her being, uh, she, she was outspoken and she was really passionate about the, the social justice issues. She even told her brother Chris that she wanted to be a priest and that she felt it was ludicrous, ludicrous that women couldn't be priests. Yes, you see where this is going, right? Now do you see the connection between Robin and Catherine? Sister Sesnick. And now I'm going to introduce you to Sister Robin. Quentin, you're lucky I don't have the nun out. Uh, this was in June of 1977 where she moved into the mother house. <clears throat> and she was only 26 at the time. She was not a nun yet. She was a 
pre-nominate, nominate, nav, mm. this, this word's gotten me, got me yesterday, it's going to get me good today. She was a pre-nun candidate, or a post-postulant nun, which is in... A nun that is in the process of becoming a nun, but not a full-fledged nun yet. I did not grow up Catholic. The Catholic Church was down the street from where I grew up. Every Wednesday afternoon, there was cars lined up the street. Every Sunday, there was cars lined up the street. Because when you grow up in a town of less than 800 people, only one of the two churches in town can have a parking lot until 40 years later and two houses burned down. Uh... Rant over. <clears throat> On June 13th, 1977, around 10.30 a.m., Sister Robin, she was starting her eight-day silent retreat because she didn't know, she wasn't really sure what she wanted to do with her life. She wasn't 100% sure if she wanted to become a nun, if she wanted to do something else. She wasn't really 100% sure. So that morning, she went into the motherhouse kitchen. She grabbed an apple and a Bible. She headed out about 100 yards behind the building where there was a peaceful spot with a bench where <coughs> many of the nuns would go and pray and whatnot. And on the back side of from what I from what I can gather, it's I'm just gonna be kind of visual picture or visualize what I'm visualizing. If you can see what I'm visualizing, I am talking in circles. I am sorry. It seems as though the back was like a hilled area. She'd go up the hill, the bench was up there, and on the back side of the hill was the golf course. Unfortunately, Sister Robin, with her starting her eight day silent retreat, which meant she was silent. Obviously, I don't know how to do that because I'm here sitting here talking to a microphone, talking to myself, talking to you guys. <clears throat> uh, she was found around 2 p.m. by the caretaker. The caretaker had found Sister Robin's body about 40 yards from the bench. The bench had been tipped over. Sister Robin's blouse and bra had been pulled up. Her pants and underwear had been pulled down. It appeared that she was attacked while she was praying. She didn't have any defensive wounds, which I'm going to go back to the fact that that was because of her eight-day silent retreat because this girl don't seem like she was going to be putting up with shit. It, she was in, incapacitated raped and strangled it's it was thought that the killer had came from behind however there were thumbprints on sister robin's 
throat that had determined that was not the case. Um, so, first thought, golfers. Nope, they were all cleared. However, there is a pretty big suspect, and this is why I made the comment about it being the eight day silent retreat goes to fact that a few days prior, Sister Robin, she had words with a salvage company worker from Atlanta, Georgia, because this man had the audacity to say obscene remarks about nuns. Sister Robin wasn't having it. Nope, she was not. She was not having it at all. Nope. She, she told him what she thought of him. But all those workers were cleared. There was, however, a man in the area that seemed to be a possibility. This suspect had dark hair. He was a white man, about six feet tall. Drove a blue, blue-gray Impala. How do you miss those? That that time of year, those are big cars. It's when I started driving. My when I first started driving, it was in a well, it was in a car the same size. Uh, the suspect was between thirty and thirty-three years old. He had three religious stickers on his car, whether it was on his bumper, in the window, on the trunk, hard to say. And then, you gotta throw a small brown poodle that was with him. Of course, there's gotta be a puppy dog. Poor puppy. Poor puppy. The puppy didn't do nothing. The puppy didn't do nothing wrong. No, he did. Or she. Puppy didn't do nothing wrong. Now, that leads me to a even bigger suspect. Now, I don't know the details on this guy because he he knows this guy knows shit this guy knows shit he shouldn't know and but the details on this guy like the description I couldn't find a description on him so he may fit that suspect description he may not anyway his name is John Shoplick I'm hoping that's pronounced right it's either Shoplick or Shoplack I'm going Shoplack. Shoplick. Shoplack. Shop. Shop. We're just going to call him John. But we, we, we get it. We get it. He was a local man that happened to tell one of his friends that he had killed a nun near Ogle Bay Park, which happened to be just a couple miles from the convent. And he knew details not released to the public. Now, however, his blood type was taken from his military records. His blood type didn't match the blood type that was found at the crime scene. However, according to Paul Holes, who did an episode on Sister Robin, again, I didn't watch this because I do my research differently, he said there was a, a, a pretty, fairly high 
error rates when it came to military blood type records back then. However, when they did the search of the area, there were no clues found in the area. Before Sister Robin, unfortunately, was murdered, there had been four other women in the Washington County, Pennsylvania area, which was less than a half an hour from the convent, that were raped and killed in very in a similar manner. However, that whole serial killer for the four women, they know that the serial killer was for those four, but they ruled him out for Sister Robin because the way she was strangled was un was different from the four other girls. The four other girls had actually been strangled with articles of their own clothing where Sister Robin was strangled with by bare hands. Now, Shoplet, John Shoplet, he had an ex-girlfriend that told police that at one point that John there had tried to choke her and that he, that John did not like Catholic people. Now, that's, John, John, John has a long history of not being such a nice guy. He was also accused of two other rapes previously to Sister Robin's uh, unfortunate ending. This son of a bitch, he also robbed his grandmother. This is not a... Actually, it could be a little Red Riding Hood situation, because how the wolf was nicer to grandma than John was to his. He robbed his grandma, and then he went to, he stole the ring off of her finger, but he didn't just take the ring, he took her whole damn finger. He cut his, he cut his grandmother's finger off to get this ring. Then, to keep grandma, granny all there, quiet, he took a telephone wire and wrapped it around grandma's neck. Yes, at one time there was a cord that went from the receiver to the to the handheld part. And then it went on a wall. I know, my younger my, my younger viewer or my younger listeners are like, oh my gosh, really that happened? Yes, it did happen. Shoplick, he admitted Oh, okay. When he admitted to that friend that he had killed a nun near Oglebake Park, he told his this friend that he strangled the nun with his belt. Now, that's not how Rob, Sister Robin passed. She was strangled with bare hands. John had also told his, this friend, again, I have names, not gonna, nope, nope, not gonna do it. Nope, not, I'm not gonna do that. He told <clears throat> his friend that the nun was either a virgin or 
on her period because he got blood on him. Okay, one, you son of a bitch, you deserve to get blood on you because you raped and murdered somebody. If, allegedly, allegedly, if, allegedly, if you did do this, you, you had this, you had it coming. However, Sister Robin was on her period. Now, she, even if she wasn't, I'm just, I'm not going there. It's just going to get me all hot and bothered. Just not gonna do it. Nope. And I know, I know some of you love when I do it. Now I got other cases. I'm gonna do that. That's when I. That's when we're gonna go through those serial killers. I can't wait. I got some good ones for you guys. Uh In 2019, though, I got some good news for you. John, John, there, Shoplack, Shoplick. Doesn't fucking matter what the hell his name was. In 2019, he was hospitalized, and he died. Maybe he was one of the first early cases of COVID that hit. Somebody got, somebody got what was coming to him. Now, the Ohio County Sheriff's Office that is investigating the case, they are hoping to get tissue samples that possibly may have been taken at the hospital for a DNA profile from those tissues. And we're in 2024. Is there any answers on whether they did get those tissues? No, there's not any answers. Shocker, right? There's no answers because there might be answers that we're not, we don't know. Uh, sometimes, a lot of times, officers or detectives or the departments, they keep things hush-hush so that you run into situations like John there, who had details that weren't released to the public. And this way, they can examine things a lot further and whatnot. Uh, so, Sister, Sister Sesnick, <clears throat> she lost her life because she was, wanted to help girls and get, <clears throat> get justice for them. Sister Robin, well, Sister Robin was doing something that was one of the most tranquil things a person could possibly do. Sitting at a bench praying and her life was taken from her both of these girls were under 30 sister says and didn't even make it to her 28th year of being on this planet Rob, sister robin she was only 26 when she passed away we are 50 plus Yes. Yeah, we're, fifth, we're, we're we're almost 70 years away from when this happened. And there's still no answers. Thankfully, these son of a bitches that probably did it are dead. But it would be nice to give the families, the Elam and the Sesnick families, some justice and some answers and
it's just not right. It's just not right. So I leave you with those two stories. And I will be looking more into the Joyce Malecki case for a later uh, episode. Uh, keep an eye out for that one. For my listeners out there, would you guys please do me a favor and rate and review the episodes on the platforms that you listen to this to? It really does help the algorithm get out there so other so we can get other more we can get our class bigger. We can get more beautiful and handsome pupils in our stories. Not let me rephrase it, not in our stories. To listen to our stories. We don't want any more in our stories. We've got plenty of the stories to go. And it's not right that we've got so many stories to go. Uh, let's make our class bigger, guys. Uh, if you want me to do a story, please, all means, send send a story suggestion into let's tell their story at gmail.com. Or you can even come to that, uh, or go to that email, and if you have a story, a personal story, write it. If you want to say anonymous, let me know. If you want me to announce who you are, also, if you've got a story, like, if you've got a story you want me to do, to look into, and you, I will let you, I will give you the credit, um, as... You'll be finding out, or you just found out. You should have just found out in the last episode. I had, the last episode, the case was actually a listener that happened to bring that case to me. And it was actually a fairly close case, and I didn't even know it. Ex well, it had been so long that I forgot it existed. Uh, what else do I want to tell you? Oh. Go check out the Facebook page. Let's tell our story. Uh, you can find the Instagram page. I'm going to tell you, there's not much on there because I just don't do the gram. I don't do Instagram. It's it's not that it's hard. It's just, I don't like it. I'm just, or you can get a hold of us at on X. Uh, at I believe it's let's their story because it doesn't let you put in too many letters. Uh, Quentin does most, if not all, of the stuff on X, which is the former Twitter. Um, we actually just ha we did have a listener that happened to be a family member of one of the cases that I did reached out to us, so. Thank you, Lauren, uh, if you're still listening. I'm hoping you're still listening. Uh, I, I don't know what else to tell you guys, but stay safe. But stay curious. Till next time, guys.